0: Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you.
1: You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance.
0: And a warm welcome to the Afternoon Show. Thanks for joining me today. If you missed any of the first hour, I think you would uh, be wise to go to MyFaithRadio.com. Check it out and go to the podcast and you can listen to it whenever you like. So I'm always glad to meet a new person and today I get to meet Dr. Allison Cook. She's written a book called The Best of You, Break Free from Painful Patterns, Mend Your Past, and Discover Your True Self in God. She is brought faith and psychology together to really help thousands of women reclaim their confidence and find their purpose and develop the authentic connections they crave. So awfully glad to meet Allison Cook. Allison, welcome. Thanks
1: so much for having me. I'm so glad to get this chance to talk with you.
0: Well, thank you. I started reading your book and I was just in the introduction and I was quivering a little because it was a, a kind of a, a nerve-wracking introduction to be honest.
1: Yeah, it's uh, just as I was kind of beginning to formulate the, the theme for this book, out of my practice, working with women, out of my own life, I had a medical emergency out of the blue, out of nowhere, um, in, a, in such a way that, of course, it got my attention and um, in, in sort of initiated a process of really turning to God, kind of like. Hey God, you've got my attention. And so I wrote about it in the intro to the book because it meant a lot to me as far as how this book took shape.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, You're just trying to get ready for a nice date with your husband and you, and you go into the bathroom and you're going to put on a little tiny bit of makeup with your finger and you realize all of a sudden your finger felt completely disconnected from your body and you go, what is going on? And the next thing you knew, you, you knew you were having a stroke.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I didn't know, you know, in in those few seconds, right? It's like, this is weird. I, my finger won't move, you Mm -hmm. know? And then when I screamed for my husband, when he came in, that's when we realized I was slurring. My left leg wasn't moving, you know, the whole left side of my body was, was, had, you know, was not working. He threw me in the car, raced me to our local emergency room, um, where this was during COVID. It was the first few months of COVID. So, um, he you know, there was all that stuff where he couldn't come in with me and, um, they were able to give me a medication, you know, clot blasting medication very quickly, thankfully, um, to mitigate, but there was absolutely a clot that had formed and had reached my brain. Um, and without his quick action and without um, the quick action of the doctors, who knows what would have happened.
0: Mm -hmm. So let's talk about some of the decision-making you've, let's say, let's say you're overwhelmed with a set of circumstances or you've got a very hard decision to make. And yeah. p- part of you goes, I think I know what to do, but you feel doubtful and you feel desperate for answers. How do you make that next step?
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, um, I, I talk about in the book and, you know, when I came out of that stroke, so what to sort of segue to that, you know, I, I was okay physically but i cleared my schedule um i you know i took a break from seeing clients and i was in that position of what what to answer your question the word is discernment what is it that i want to do with this precious life that all of a sudden i am valuing in a whole new and different way and how do i make that decision right how do we discern what we want to do and because so often with god there isn't a there isn't always, sometimes there's a clear no, that would be the wrong thing to do, you know, and sometimes there's a clear yes, but so often there is a, what, what is the better decision, right? Mm-hmm. What is, what is the, maybe there's two or three wise decisions. And that was the biggest outcome of that with God. After those few months when I really was just really praying and crying out to God, I, I sensed from God this sort of different way of looking at it, which is what do you Want Allison, you've been walking with me your whole life. You've been developing a certain set of skills. You know, you've, you've, what is it that you think? And so there was this sort of pushing it back on me. Not, it, I, I still needed to be in relationship with the Holy Spirit, but there was some room for freedom mm-hmm. in that decision making. And so I talk about that a lot in the book. I t- as, a, as a parent, my kids are now a little bit older. We're, we're pushing on empty nests. And I notice I parent differently when my kids come to me. It's less about me telling them what to do, like I might have done when they were two or three. you know. It's more about me asking a lot of questions, being curious, helping them discern through that relationship. And that's what I have found is true as we're discerning how to make decisions with God. Sometimes we just have to make a decision that feels like the best one we can make in the moment and trust that we can course correct, even if it's, we don't get it exactly right.
0: Mm. Dr. Allison Cook is my guest. Her book is called The Best of You. Break free from painful patterns, mend your past, and discover your true self in God. Allison, what are the most common things women do when they're faced with a dilemma? And do they work?
1: Yeah, I mean, what I've found in working with women, and a lot of guys who've read the book have told me it resonates with them too, is that we tend to, number one, ask other people, what should I do? Try to get other people to tell us what to do. Number two, we sort of just pray and ask God to tell us what to do. Um, sort of a ma- we want the you know sort of magic lightning bolt from the sky route, you know. Um, and then we number want three, that. Yeah. right? And then number three, sometimes we you know we sort of um, we might do nothing. We might take because we just can't figure it out, and so we end up doing nothing. And then we might numb, or we might avoid, and none of those paths really works. You know, in the first case, we're outsourcing our decision-making. We're getting other people to tell us what to do, and other people don't know our hearts the way we know our hearts. Um, you know, so, so the, what I began to notice with women is, is we don't often exercise that those internal resources God has given us. And it really gets back at this idea of discernment, of these things that a lot of us have been taught are bad. But when they're brought into partnership with the Holy Spirit and said, what am I good at? What do I enjoy? What brings me joy? What do I kind of want to try? What, What do I need? What are my limits? What's my capacity? And sort of take that approach to really taking stock of our internal life in partnership with God and then making that decision from that internal place. Of course, we bounce it off the people that we love, the people that we've brought into our life to trust, but really what I'm trying to do is to get women to look inwardly. What do I think is best? And there's this confidence piece, and even, dare I say, a little bit of trusting myself. I see men a little bit more willing to do that than women. I can trust myself on this, and it's not that I'm always going to get it right, but I've done the work, I've done the research, I've talked to God, I'm going to take this next step, and even if I don't get it exactly right, I can always Course correct, and there's a lot of freedom in that.
0: I like that, Allison. I have a feeling you just gave me an illustration of some of the questions you need to ask yourself to find out what, what it is you want. Yes. What? Yeah. And
1: that,
0: what am I good at, and all that kind of stuff. What are my yeah, gifts?
1: What brings me life?
0: Yeah, exactly. Who
1: are the Who are the people that bring out the best of me? You know, those are all ways that God has given us to just when we're walking in step with the spirit, we're walking in step with who God made us to be. There are a lot of things I could do and some things bring out the absolute worst in me. And is that healthy for my marriage, for my kids, for my family? No. You know, so to some degree, sometimes we always have to do things we don't like, but to some degree, to whatever degree we can really take inventory and pay attention to what brings us life, what brings out the best of us, what, you know, what brings those fruit of the spirit that we talk so much, what brings me joy and move toward those things. Those are cues that are really important to pay attention. Same, by the same token, what's bringing out the worst in me, what's making me miserable, you know, what, what, you know, makes me just maybe those are, is there a way to, to you a little bit less of those things and move away from those things?
0: Mm-hmm. Allison, I know as Christians, we should be focusing on others, but if we focus on ourselves, is that being selfish?
1: One of the most common questions I get, which is why I head that off right in the the first chapter of the book, there's a difference between selfishness, which is, it's all about me. I don't want to do it. I'm never going to do it. If I want to do it, I'm going to do it. I don't care what you think. That is selfish. And that is not what we are called to. But there's another end of that spectrum that we often call selflessness that is not, in fact, the selflessness I see in Jesus, which is never about me. I never do what I want or need. I only make it about other people. And I see a lot of women operating that way. And it is a quick trip to resentment, bitterness, burnout, you know, loneliness. And so this middle path. What I'm talking about in this book is this idea of selfhood. Psychologists call it selfhood. And it's the example that we see in Jesus. It's a strong inner conviction before God. It's this is who I am. This is who God made me to be. And I'm going to bring that into my relationship. I want to know who you are. I want to know what you think, what you need, what you want. And together, we'll negotiate something beautiful. But two people bring a strong sense of self into a relationship, and you carve out a path together. And we see this example in Jesus. Jesus was not a doormat. Jesus considered when he had needs. Jesus sometimes took time away for himself. You know, we don't see this example of Jesus being a doormat, which is how we're sometimes taught selfless means. And it's not the example that brings health, and it's not the example we see in Jesus.
0: Mm. So I would imagine this would help us have better and more healthy boundaries.
1: Yes, exactly. And again, looking at the life of Jesus, we we see Jesus with a clear pattern of saying yes, to say yes and saying no Mm -hmm. when he needed to say no, including to some other people. Sometimes Jesus really set clear boundaries with people. I will not tolerate that behavior. You know, he didn't use those words. And so that, that strong sense of self, when we're really walking in step with the spirit who lives inside of us, as we know from John 14, so he's inside me, right? I have access to the spirit of God. My nose become much more clear, strong. They're, they're rooted in that relationship that I have with Christ. So I'm saying no sometimes. I'm saying it kindly. I'm saying it politely. But I am not just a doormat. And therefore, the yeses that I say are also and more powerful. And that's where we get into healthy
0: boundaries. I like that. Dr. Allison Cook is my guest. Her book is called The Best of You, Break Free from Painful Patterns, Mend Your Past, and Discover Your True Self in God. We'll take a short break and be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com.
1: You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance.
0: I'm so glad to have Dr. Allison Cook on the show. She is a psychologist and a writer, and for two decades has helped women heal from past wounds, develop a strong sense of self, and forge healthy relationships with others and experience a loving God who is for them and hoped one day to be on the afternoons with Bill Arnold Show. And here she is, and she can check that off her list. Allison, I would love for you to talk about trauma and mental illness. Why why are these two sometimes just lumped together?
1: Yeah, it's really in the last, I would say, two decades, we've begun to so much more better understand the impact of trauma on things like depression, anxiety. And so the the easiest way to understand it is so when someone comes and they're having symptoms of depression, we're not as quick to say you're ill, right? Like you you have a sickness. We're more asking the question, what happened? Mm. Because what we've, what we've learned is that what happens in childhood, you know, in these earliest relationships really have an impact on the nervous system, on the brain, at, and what shows up in depression and anxiety in adulthood. So we want to understand the impact of these wounds so that we're treating healing, not just with a band-aid, you know, but with the deep, deep healing that God, I believe God, wants to bring every single one of us as, you know, as much as can be brought in this world that we live in.
0: Allison, are there in your practice, do you find that there are women giving up on parts of themselves that need healing?
1: Yeah, I think what I see happening a lot of times, especially with women who have a very strong faith, maybe even some, some living, uh, listening right now, right. You, where you love God, and this was my story, you love God, you've read the Bible, you've um, done everything you know to do, and you still feel crummy, you still feel emotionally empty, you still feel exhausted, you still feel depressed, you know, you still feel anxious, that can be really discouraging, and what I've noticed over time without the right kind of care is women can start to give up and just be like, you know, this is just my lot in life, and what I want to say to that woman now is don't give up. Don't give up on the life that God wants for you, the life that God has for you. There's so many ways to heal those areas of pain and woundedness in the soul. We are learning so much about how to heal these emotional wounds. Um, And so I just want women to know, and, and there's nothing wrong with your faith or with you if you're still struggling in those ways. These are really hard. You know, when we have these wounds, these childhood wounds, these childhood traumas, they're very hard to heal from. And just like you wouldn't blame yourself, You know, if you had a broken arm as a child that never got healed and your arm doesn't work quite right, you wouldn't blame yourself for that, right? It's the same with these emotional wounds. Um, We just need to continue to work towards finding the right ways to heal.
0: Mm. Dr. Allison Cook is my guest. Her book is called The Best of You, Break Free from Painful Patterns, Mend Your Past and Discover Your True Self in God. Allison, I'd love for you to bring codependency into this discussion and maybe talk about some of the, the... codependency patterns in our lives?
1: Yeah. So codependency is when, you know, you asked me about what happens when we only focus on other people, you know, isn't that the Christian thing to do? Well, Mm -hmm. the problem is if we only focus on other people and we completely bypass ourselves, we don't do our own work. We don't tend to ourselves. Remember Jesus said, love others as yourself. There's an assumption there that we will be tending our own soul and that out of that overflow is how we will care well for others. If we don't do that work, if we bypass ourselves, we bypass our own pain and we we kind of hitch ourselves to the opinions and preferences and permission of other people, we get into this thing called codependency, which really just means we begin to, instead of doing the work that is ours to do on ourselves, we focus only on somebody else. We kind of make other people a project and we focus on all of their work instead of doing our own work. And it's really um, unhealthy in the long haul, both for the individual and for the relationship.
0: Mm -hmm. Allison, you said something that caught my attention when you said people are afraid to face their pain. So what advice do you have for someone who is maybe scared to do that?
1: Yeah. You know, first of all, if there's a a big backlog of pain and you've had some big T trauma, some really hard things, I would say, don't do it alone. Get the help of a therapist, get the help of a pastor of, you know, a, a trained professional, someone who can walk with you to unpack that pain. But we store pain in our bodies. We store it in our memories. And when we you know, want to work around it. It's still there. And when we begin, the paradox of pain is especially pain from childhood, from past wounds. As we begin to face it gently, we pace ourselves. We do it in the safety of safe, loving relationships. That pain softens that pain. You know, it's just, again, if you think about a bruise, you know, as the bruise heals, there's no more pain, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to face the pain in order to heal the pain. And so we need to be brave to do that. We need to get the right people around us, but it's really important because that is ultimately how we heal is facing it.
0: Yeah. Allison, so you write this book called The Best of You, and I'm thinking, let's see, Allison, what did you learn about yourself as you went through the process of (laughs) finding the best you? Yeah. Well,
1: that was the irony of the stroke that I had is right after I had that stroke, I started to experience um, a lot of the symptoms that people come to me for help, right? I started to wake up in the middle of the night anxious. I started to worry more. I started to have more fear. So I had to kind of walk through the very same journey that I write about in the book, which is exactly what we just talked about, honoring, you know, that anxiety. And, and what I mean by that is instead of shaming myself for very human emotions when we face hard things it is normal to feel scared Mm -hmm. to feel anxious to feel sad you know to to doubt god Mm -hmm. those are normal feelings what happens is we shame ourselves for them and shame is a tool of the enemy and when we shame ourselves it's hard to get the care that we need so what i've learned again and again and again is to take those feelings to god god i'm scared. I'm scared because in God, we have a loving companion, a loving witness, a loving presence who does not shame us. He meets us where we are and he helps us be brave and he helps us grow. He doesn't shame us for those feelings that we have. And that's been just one of the biggest outcomes for me in my own journey. Uh, thank,
0: Thank you for that answer. Oh, let's talk about trust. Trust is hard for people, maybe even trusting in yourself. So let's mm-hmm. say, you know, I'm having a hard time trusting in myself. What is what is it one step I can take to change that?
1: Yeah, and I would say we don't trust in ourselves ultimately because we are human and we make mistakes. So learning to trust yourself is a rem- that reminder, the Spirit of God, do- the Holy Spirit does live inside of me. I do have the discernment, the wisdom. And so to trust ourselves is just to learn to notice What again, kind of notice some of these emotions, these cues our body is sending us. Like maybe my body is tired because I need to take a rest. Maybe I'm feeling angry or frustrated in this relationship because this person is mistreating me. Mm -hmm. And so instead of shoving those things aside, it's learning to trust. Wait, those cues might be there for a reason to pay attention to them, to take them to God, and to process them so that we can begin to act in healthy ways on behalf of ourselves in the ways that we need.
0: Mm -hmm. Allison, what if you are spiritually wounded? What is a possible first step you can take towards healing spiritually?
1: I would say the very first step is to say um, there's no shame. A lot of times spiritual wounds, we tell it's, it's just a place where we feel like we've been so hurt and we can't find God. And maybe we've even been hurt by a faith community. Maybe we've even been hurt by someone who has used the name of Christ or the name of God. And so we feel shame. And the first step I would say is just to name it for what it is. It's not your fault that God doesn't shame you, that there's been a wound there that needs to heal and to just give yourself permission to go on a journey. And two, I always say to people, get curious. Mm. Get curious about that wounded place. I wonder what that's about. I wonder what happened, right? Curiosity shifts us from shame into that place of compassion where we can start to heal.
0: Mm-hmm. Allison, are a lot of people that come into your office really hard on themselves?
1: Yes. Yes. That's what I notice is we are sometimes our own worst critics. We are, are we shame ourselves very much, though, so, um, and we don't realize it. And there are many. Sometimes we often feel like it's the right thing to do. I should beat myself up. I should hate myself for hmm. that. And the thing that I want people to understand is that's not how we heal. We heal in the and and if you think about the verse that says God's kindness leads us to repentance, right? Right. And repentance is turning away from. And, and it's the same thing even with a wound that might not even be our fault. Uh, it, it God's kindness I like is that. what brings healing. Yeah, it's I like not that. not our beating ourselves up.
0: Mm-hmm. Allison, thank you so much for spending your time today to be on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate all the great questions. It's
0: been a delight meeting you. Dr. Allison Cook has been my guest. Her book is called The Best of You, Break Free from Painful Patterns, Mend Your Past, and Discover Your True Self in God. After the break, we're going to I have a very special guest in studio, Aaron Welty, will be joining us. And wow, what a story.
1: You are listening to an Encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Yeah. It's the afternoon
0: show with Arnold. Okay, one of the great advantages of having our radio station right here on the campus of University of Northwestern is we have sometimes these crossover opportunities. My guest, Aaron Welty, was the chapel speaker today over on campus, and we talked him into coming over and uh, having a conversation with me. So I'm the lucky one, as now you will be the lucky one as well. He is uh, a fascinating story. He is not only the creator and moderator of the Council of Nerds Film Discussions a series at the Miracle Theater in Washington, D.C., but he's got a, an amazing story uh, of overcoming uh, his early diagnosis as a newborn with cerebral palsy. And he once served as senior legislative assistant in the House of Representatives, where he worked a variety of policy issues. He lives in the D.C. area, so he's uh, quite a ways away from home today, but we're awfully glad he's with us today. Aaron, welcome.
2: Thank you, Bill. I love the fact that I get to be
0: here this afternoon. Oh, thank you. And, and how did chapel go today?
2: I'm told the chapel went
0: well. Okay, good. That's all you need to hear, right? Right. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to go with it. Yeah. And I'll tell you so far, the radio interview is going well, too. Awesome. Just so you know. We'll see right.
2: how we're doing in like five minutes. Oh, good.
0: Let's talk about the origin of your story. Let's hear it. So,
2: as I talked about in chapel this morning, I was born 10 weeks premature. I was born 10 weeks premature in the early 80s, which essentially meant I was born with a death sentence hanging over me uh, right from the beginning. And um, the doctors, they weren't entirely sure what was going to happen and how it was going to go. And mom and dad had to make a decision. They had to decide if they were going to distance themselves from me so that when I, of course, according to medical wisdom eventually died, their pain would be less or whether or not they were willing to press in to the situation and quite literally love me to life. And some of these doctors, they were so convinced that it was going to go the other way that they just kind of wanted to, let it happen but there was a nurse that worked at the hospital who was friends with my grandmother my grandmother was also a nurse at the hospital that I was born in and she was there that day um when I was born and according to the stories that she has told as family lore it took this nurse kind of stepping into the middle of the situation and saying no we know this boy's family. He's the first grandkid in the family. <laughs> we need to do everything mm. we can. And so the doctors did what they could. Eventually I was medevac to U of M hospital and so on and so forth. And the thing about this nurse is that she looked at me and she saw possibility and potential where a lot of these doctors, all they saw was a premature problem.
0: Mm. I would say you were a perfect image bearer of the king. That's they, what I would have said if I was looking at you. That as is a very little, kind. As a little infant. So what did the doctor say after you died? Oh, wait, you didn't die. Right. Oh, so they kind of messed that one up, didn't they? <laughs> they they did. Yeah.
2: Um, there's a story that my mom will, has told you know as, I, as I've gotten older about how I was probably four or five years old, and I went in for a medical appointment, and some of the doctors from you know, from the early, early days, one of them was present and was like, wait a minute. Is this the same kid?
0: Wow. So. That's incredible. So l- talk about some of your challenges related to your cerebral palsy diagnosis. How did those experiences help form who you are? Because you're an amazing guy. Thank you.
2: Um, yeah. So as somebody with cerebral palsy, um, it manifests differently for different people. Um, for me, it's mostly a lower body uh, situation. And but what it means is you know there's 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 brain damage that's involved and that has led to challenges related to um mobility muscle function and motor skills right? mobility muscle function and motor skills and the thing about it is when you have a challenge like this that you've lived with um for your whole life it puts you in a place where ultimately you are more empathetic and compassionate towards others because you are familiar nice. with suffering. So I have a friend who we both know. His name is, is Randy Newman. I know you've interviewed him on the show before he and I have liked to talk about how he said, he said to me once he said, "Wealthy." For you, cerebral palsy is not everything, but it's not nothing. It is certainly something. And he likes to joke with me sometimes that I have advanced degrees in things. Nobody wants advanced degrees.
0: In. Yeah, you didn't pay for that console, did you? I,
2: I, I did not. Oh, good.
0: <laughs> you know, like I'll take that up with Randy if he charged you.
2: But uh, <laughs> you know, he said you you have you have a master's in suffering. Yeah. And a doctorate in perseverance. And you don't go to school for those. Life hands you that, you know, that advanced degree, whether you want it or not.
0: Yeah. So when did you have um, a faith experience? So I was very fortunate to
2: grow up in a um, small Baptist church in uh, the town that I lived in. A church that, as a kid... Four generations of my mom's family attended that church at the same time.
0: Oh, wow. From my, four, generations four generations at once.
2: From my great-grandparents all the way down to my brother and me. Wow. And pretty young, uh, I came to understand who Jesus was, who he is, what he'd done for me, and how I needed to answer that question of who is Jesus, right? Lewis talks about that question. C.S. Lewis. Yeah, C.S. Lewis. Okay.
0: Um, I know we're familiar talking about Lewis, but I just, for my listeners, want right. you to know, want them to know you're referring to C.S. Lewis. So C.S. Lewis. Yes.
2: He talks about that question of, you know, liar, liar, lunatic, or Lord. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of determine how are you going to answer that question? How are you going to approach that question? I didn't understand that at seven years old but I knew enough to know that I needed Jesus. Mm -hmm. As I got older, one of the things I came to understand is that in his providence, in his sovereignty, like God had preserved my life up to that point so that that decision
0: could be made. Beautiful. Just beautiful. So as you grew in your faith, Mm -hmm. now you're in high school, let's say. Are you starting to have feelings of, Frustration, anger, are you mad at God ever that your situation uh, is what it was what it is i I handled that pretty well good through middle
2: school and high school okay right in middle school, I developed this understanding that because of my cerebral palsy, because of my situation, but not only because of my situation but because of the time that I was born in the early 80s, in 1982. um, Same year that Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan came out. Same year that Blade Runner came out. Same year that Tron came out. I was born like two weeks after Blade Blade Runner released. And because I was born at that time, the Iron Curtain was still up. Communism was a real thing at that time. And not in the way that we take that word and we bat it about for you know political points and all of that today. But it was it was real. I mm-hmm. mean, Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country, and the tension between the Klingons and the Federation. It's it's a parable for the fall of the Soviet Union at the end of the eighties, beginning in the nineties. And so, this was a very real thing. And because it was a very real thing, by the time I got to junior high, I understood that I was in a position, I was in a place where if I had been born somewhere else than the United States of America in nineteen eighty two, there's a good chance that the state was going to be deciding what happened to me and not mom and dad.
0: Well, wow. Aaron Wealthy is my guest, and Aaron was diagnosed as a newborn with cerebral palsy, and he has overcome uh so many trials and God has used him in such a powerful way. Um, Aaron, maybe I would love or um, I would love to hear more about y- your your parents because when you said your parents were obviously involved in in this story, I'd love to hear more about the role they played.
2: My parents' role in my life is is outsized in the sense that even today it's it's a they, they play a large role my life I mean they were my first heroes right they were the ones who modeled for me the idea that I would come to understand much much later the idea of facilitating redemptive good for others often at your own detriment because growing up wasn't easy and they did everything they could to give me as normal and mainstream a childhood as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, my dad was the coach for my Bible quizzing team at church and in middle school and high school. My mom was on the school board when I was in elementary school in part so that she could make sure and have influence over um, the kind of educational experience that I had. Um, They were They were so involved in, in my life and in growing up, even to the point where I talked about this in chapel today, when I got to college and was, was at Cedarville university for college, partway through college, we realized that I needed a mobility implement better than what existed, better than the the modified tricycle I had better than the, the scooter that I had. Mm -hmm. And so my dad and I, we designed our own thing and he built it in our garage. And that is something that off and on for almost 20 years I have used to get around, whether that's at Cedarville or whether that's in Washington, D.C. So they, they have been such a, you know, part of my life and they were, they were the most supportive people when I said at the, after college, when I said, Hey, I think it's time for me to, you know, go to Washington. You know, they asked questions about it, but as long as I was able to, answer their, their questions to uh, their satisfaction. They were like, okay, it's time. Let's go do this. And I went and did it because I knew back in middle school that I wasn't going to be able to serve in the military. You know, cerebral palsy kind of precludes that doesn't necessarily preclude the armed forces for trying to recruit me anyway. That happened when I was 18. Um, so that was an interesting conversation to have with them. But, you know, eventually I um, moved to D.C. and got involved on uh, Capitol Hill because I understood that I had to do something to give back. And when the time came, you know, mom and dad were like, all right, let's do this. What do we have to do to make it happen? And we did.
0: Wow. So was your dad the kind of guy that was could fix anything or build anything or was he motivated by his son's need for the ultimate scooter? I think it's both. Okay. Honestly. My dad um,
2: is a carpenter by trade. Okay. You know, built every house I lived in, you know, as a kid. Nice. Um, also, is a bit of a gearhead. Okay. Loved motocross, cars. Um, cars is a way that he really relates to my younger brother who loves cars. So when you take the carpentry piece, the gearhead piece, and the fact that for a while in high school and college, he actually built experimental aircraft in the Ark garage on their property. You bring all of that together, plus the fact that he loves his son and realizes he's in a unique position to meet a need his son has that everybody else can't meet. And you get the Phoenix, which is what we call the uh, rocket car that I
0: use in D.C. Wow. And that's you're still using that um,
2: for the most part, yes. I mean, we, it is currently in the shop in okay. Detroit, and we're, we're working on it. Every few years, um, we kind of go through this thing where we replace the batteries, we redesign some of the features sure. and that kind of stuff and upgrades, and we're in the middle of doing that still.
0: Nice. Aaron Welty is my guest. He was the chapel speaker here today at the University of Northwestern, and he was nice enough to come over to the studio and talk to me and to you. So we're going to take a little break. When we come back, more of Aaron's story in just a minute. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests every week. Share your prayer requests with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com.
1: You are listening to an Encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance.
0: I'm back with Mr. Aaron Welty. He is a guest that was a guest speaker today at Chapel at the University of Northwestern here, and he was diagnosed as a newborn with cerebral palsy and has, has had lots of trials and um, challenges in his life, and, and God has walked him through all of them and still continues to do that. Aaron, I'd love to talk about uh, the, how the character of God has shown up in your life.
2: That's a wonderful question.
0: Um, One of my favorite
2: stories in scripture, particularly the Old Testament, is Daniel chapter three Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We love that story for the radical rescue. We love that story for God showing up and showing off. But that's not why I love that story. Mm. I love that story. Because of three small, very dangerous words, depending on the translation you're reading. And those words are, but, if, not. But, if, not. Those three young men understood, we think that God's going to show up and show off and rescue us. But he might not. Mm. Now, when I was a sophomore, um. Cedarville, I had a season, a period of time where I asked God to take the cerebral palsy away. I I was bent over a chair at 3 a.m., night after night after night, crying out, asking him to heal me. And much like Dr. Grant in the original Jurassic Park, God said, that's not what I'm going to do. And so my response is, well, what are you going to do? You need to do something. And God said to me, well, T, you want me to prescribe painlessness for you. I'm going to prescribe perseverance instead. And it took me a while to kind of figure that out, you know, because he pointed me to places like 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 12, We're in chapter 4, Paul writes, For we have these treasures in jars of clay to show that this awesome passing power comes from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Most people wouldn't take a passage like that and stamp their life on it and make it their life passage. That's what I've done. It's been that for me since I was in middle school. And then you have... The second Corinthians 12, where Paul himself goes to God and says, take this thing from me. And he asks multiple times and God says, nope, that's not what I'm going to do, Paul. I'm going to show you that my grace is sufficient for you and that my power is made perfect in your weakness. So it took me a while to understand that if God is prescribing for me the same thing he's prescribing for the apostle Paul, I'm actually in really good company but I wanted the pain to go away. And what I've understood in the 20 years since then is that God was actually prescribing for me the greater miracle. Mm. He was prescribing for me the greater miracle because perseverance is something that I have to actively participate in. I wanted God to essentially wave his hand like a Jedi mind trick, and solve my problem. And God said, no, we're going to do something else.
0: Well, that's very humbling to hear. I appreciate your godly perspective because I understand how you would want things just to go away. Yes. Yeah. Now, because the lower part of your body is compromised and you've got a difficulty walking without a uh, a walker, Right. Right. And then, but you use a scooter to get around when you need to move faster? I do. Okay. So when you are walking with your walker, do your legs hurt when you walk? Sometimes. Okay. If I've if I've walked too much. Not okay. all the time.
2: Okay. But if I've walked a lot. Yeah. Like if I go to a, let's say, if I go to an amusement park and I try to rent a scooter or a wheelchair yeah. and they don't have any and I still have to spend the day walking across the park that happened to me a few weeks ago, uh, with my family, I had to walk uh, three and a half, four miles that day. And by the end of the day, I was pretty wiped. I was, yeah. Wiped. And, and I even talked to my parents about how hard that day was mm-hmm. on a lot of levels because I had to level up my ability that day in a way that I wasn't prepared to do. But even in exerting so much energy, to walk around the park to a degree I wasn't expecting that lowered the amount of energy I had to invest in actually riding roller coasters. So I had planned to ride, you know, nine, 10, 12 roller coasters. Mm-hmm. Day. I only got to three.
0: Okay. Aaron Welty is my guest. Um, Aaron, you shared with your students earlier today about the idea that weakness is heroic. Yes, I did. What's your heart behind that? So,
2: A number of years ago, I read an article in Relevant Magazine about superhero movies. And I was really excited about this in part because they interviewed Ralph Winter as part of this article. He had worked on the early 2000s X-Men films. He'd worked on a bunch of the Star Trek films with the original cast in the 80s. And so I'm reading through this and I get to the end and I was so sad. Because I realized that thematically, in a spiritual sense, this article was so much less than what it could have been. Hmm. We mentioned C.S. Lewis earlier. Think about the story with Lewis about how the screw tape letters came to be. That he was sitting in church one day listening to the pastor, and the sermon was so awful that Lewis was like, surely I could do a better job. <laughs> uh-huh. And as a result of that thought and that experience, that's what led him to writing the screw Tape Letters. And I felt the same way about this article. Surely I could do a better job. Mm-hmm. A few days later, a friend from church who was on the church's discipleship team emailed me and said, hey, we're going to do a quarterly you know, discipleship community magazine for the church the theme is about power, we would like you to write the lead article. And so we had a conversation about it, and I said, if I do this, you know that you're going to get one part my story, you're going to get one part scripture, and you're going to get the rest of it's going to be superheroes and Star Wars and all that. And they said, that's exactly what we want. Nice. So I wrote the article, it came out, It did very well, and some friends of mine came to me and said, "Wealthy, this isn't just an article. This is a whole thing. You need to find a way to turn this into something else, to turn this into a talk or a presentation. And so I did that, and I actually submitted it for consideration a number of years ago to South by Southwest, the film and culture festival festival. Down in Austin, Austin, Texas. And South by Southwest said no, but a local comic convention in D.C. called AwesomeCon said yes. And so I went and presented it at AwesomeCon probably six or seven years ago now, and it did well. And then I realized there's probably a bigger audience for this than just a couple hundred geeks sitting in a room (laughs) at a comic convention. And Mm -hmm. here we are a number of years later.
0: Yeah, Aaron, you have a, a clearly an interest in superhero stories. What is your favorite?
2: My favorite superhero kind of story slash team, I love the X-Men. Okay. Charles Xavier, when it comes to superheroes, Charles Xavier is my guy. Okay. Not just because, like me, he has mobility challenges, but he's he's a very wise Character. He's a sage, but even more than X-Men, and I don't classify this as superheroes, but I love Star Wars. Okay. I have an unabashed love for Star Wars. Now, the family my family says that I was first introduced to Star Wars as a two-year-old. And I was hooked from the very, very beginning. And part of the reason I love these kinds of stories. I love these heroes journey stories is because in these stories, you have a hero and you have a villain. Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting thing about the hero and the villain and Donald Miller, the author actually kind of pointed me towards this is that the hero and the villain, they're both victims in some way. But what the hero does is says, how am I going to utilize my pain to help other people?
0: Wow. fascinating. Aaron Welty, you're an interesting man. Thank you for coming in today and sharing your story and a little bit of your, your background and the way God has led you through a spectacular life. Thank you. A victory. Aaron Welty has been my guest. Thank you so much for listening to the show today and spending time with me. I have loved it. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week.